Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Nyla Schwab. Coming up on the Gifted Life today. We'll be talking about how one family is honoring their hero by sharing his legacy through education and legislation. We'll also be talking about that many of us live in the future or either in the past, but the special moments are what happens in the present. Ooh, all that and more. The Gifted Life, thegiftedlife.org. Hang on. Here on the Gifted Life podcast, we are honored to introduce you to our new friend, Michelle Temple. Hey, Michelle. Hey. We appreciate you you joining us. Yes, here on the Gifted Life podcast, uh, we are talking about your son, your hero, Grayson Temple, uh, who became an an organ donor who saved lives and is really inspiring a community and a state. And so uh, we just want to learn a little bit about Grayson. We want you to tell us about your baby. Um, There's a picture that I'm looking at now, and he stands pretty tall over mom, huh? He does. He's about, he was about 6'3". About 230 pounds, solid boy, or solid young man, I should say. Yes, from Livingston Parish, and it sounds like, uh, you know, outdoorsman all the way. Oh, my goodness. He was a do-it-yourselfer, constantly taking in projects from four-wheelers, go-karts, anything that had a motor that he thought he could work (laughs) on and rebuild or make better and faster. Was there a fire with some car? (laughs) Was there a fire? (laughs) So um, we have a dear elderly gentleman in our church who had had Grayson would go out and help around his farm. And he had had this firebird sitting in the yard for, well, since the flood of 16. And Grayson said, I, I mean, can I buy it? And the guy said, well, you know, it's not mine, but we'll reach out. And so things happened and the car <clears throat> ended up in my driveway <laughs> and he tinkered with it and tinkered with it. And finally managed to bypass the fuel system and got the car working with a marine gas tank. Oh, wow. So they missed a few steps along the way (laughs) because they were impatient boys to want to drive it for the first time. And um, the hood was off of it, thank God. And next thing I know, I heard a backfire and then boom, a flame. I'm trying to record all of this. (laughs) So I had to stop recording to call 911 because the car literally burst some planes <laughs> in our driveway. So when they went back through it, uh, the grandfather, who was a race car mechanic, told him, guys, you missed a few steps. <laughs> so he uh, got known as Firebird for a while. There's the nickname. Oh, Boys do that to each the, other, right? <laughs> I think the whole town of Watson came by when they saw the black billowing smoke. And I love 911. They asked me how far was it from the house, and told her, I said, I, you know, I, I'm not measuring. I'm kind of standing across the street because it is fully engulfed. Oh, so man. we oh. literally live two blocks from the fire department. I said, if you could just tell them to step outside, <laughs> see the black smoke. <laughs> Can't miss us. So actually when he passed away, um, we still had the hood from the firebird. And I did not want the traditional um, celebration of life. So we actually stood up the hood and let his friend sign it. 
Oh, I love that. Firebird. So I it saw is, it is now hanging in our youth um, center at our church. I love that. <clears throat> I didn't know Grayson personally, don't know your family personally, but I've been following you guys on uh, Facebook, on social media. I've been following the news stories because you guys have really uh, embraced trying to honor his legacy and trying to educate. And so you talked about uh, Grayson being involved in football, basketball, baseball, fishing, hunting, just an active outdoorsman and had no idea that there was an underlying issue, right? We did not. Um, he had always been a very healthy child. Um, you know, we went for our yearly, or not even yearly, we went for mandatory vaccinations, the occasional, you know, strep throat, uh, physicals, I guess you could say yearly physicals, but nothing was ever caught. Uh, and apparently he had been having symptoms at least six weeks prior to his passing. Um, the school nurse had called me six weeks prior to him going into the hospital to let me know he was in her office and um, was having some tachycardia and some low blood pressure and she had him lay down. And so anyway, I sent him back to class and said he felt better. But um, Grayson's grandfather actually died at the age of 30 from cardiac issues. So after his passing, we did genetic testing and we learned that he had a predisposition to a cardiac arrhythmia. So that began our journey of exploring the family yeah. genetics. <laughs> and and I can tell you, of course, firsthand as as a guy, uh, you know, we like to to explain things away uh, medically, you know, and, right. and with with tachycardia, with a low blood pressure, you know, you said he's uh, you know does a lot of sports and things like that. Obviously, you know, one of the other common uh, causes of those two issues, tachycardia and low blood pressure, is, is dehydration. So I would be like, you know, mom, I was just dehydrated. There was nothing, you know, and, and I can see how that can be from his standpoint kind of uh, kind of blown off because that's what we do. Um, you know, and unfortunately in this, this case, you know, it, was there any other, was there anything from that point on, um, you know, that afterwards that told you, that gave you any symptoms or any signs or anything from his uh, point of view? So about a week, uh, a week and a half before he passed, I started noticing that he was extremely fatigued. Um, it was nothing for him to come home after school and take a nap, maybe for, you know, an hour or so. But I'm talking, he'd sleep till 7.30, get up, eat dinner, and go straight back to bed. And then... Um, just a few days before we ended up going to the cardiologist, he couldn't even make it from the door to his bedroom. He'd stop about halfway and plop down in the recliner. And, you know, I asked him, I said, what is going on? And he said, I'm just, I'm just tired, mom. And, and he was the type of kid that was going nonstop. Um, you know, I, I can sleep later <laughs> was his theory. And so, he, the week before we went in the hospital, he actually was home for a couple of days with uh, what he was calling a stomach virus. And the third day, I told him, I said, you know, we're, we're past stomach virus at this point. What's going on? He said, my head, my head just hurts so bad. He said, I can't shake it. So my husband, um, me, myself, I have high blood pressure. 
Um, and oftentimes, even though they say headaches are not, you know, a sign of high blood pressure, I know when my head hurts, my blood pressure is probably high. <laughs> so I checked him. And unfortunately, I had a, I mean, well, I guess let's just say fortunately, I had a automated cuff and his blood pressure was high. And so was his heart rate. His heart rate was in the 130s, which a normal heart rate should be between 60 and 100. So I had him sit down and rest, take some deep breaths, rechecked him about eight minutes later. Well, this time his blood pressure had bottomed out, but his heart rate was still high. So I went and got my stethoscope, took a listen, and I couldn't even count um, his heart rate. It was just so uh, abnormal and turned out he was in atrial flutter. So called, you know, and he said, I'm fine. As long as I sit down, I'm fine. So he was, that's when he finally admitted that he had been having the palpitations and anytime he had to take the stairs at school, um, he would get dizzy and just feel like he was going to pass out. And apparently he had been telling everyone but us. So that's when we called the pediatrician who immediately referred us to the cardiologist. And, you know, as a nurse, you, you don't want to, you don't want to think the worst. So I'm thinking, okay, it's a simple arrhythmia. We'll go, we'll get a pill, be back in a month, you know, reassess and go home. So I never imagined in a billion years that he would have been sent straight to PICU. I read a quote from you that really touched my mama heart. I just think that I'm overreacting that you were yeah. just thinking that you were overreacting. I think we all do that. Like, is it time to call the doctor? Is it not? Like, is this serious? What do I do? And your nursing background for you, um, that really struck home for me. Well, and, you know, we, we talk about it as nursing parents. As You know, my theory was always if it's not a high fever, if there's not a bone sticking out or we're not blushing gut, gushing blood, we are not running to the doctor for every simple little sniffle and, you know, stub toe and actually a few weeks prior to him passing I got a call from his friends one night that they were on their way to the ER with him that they were pretty sure he had broke his foot chasing cows <laughs> he <was> stuck in <laughs> a hole I love this so, kid off to the Baton Rouge General we go to um, you know get a foot x-rayed and turned out it was just a nasty sprain and of course I loved it because they came out with little um crutches for someone who was about five two and I looked at the girl and I said that's <laughs> not gonna work we're gonna have to get this so we don't have anybody for any for his size I said well I'm gonna need you to go to central supply let's try this again so we finally you know got some you know person who was six three so that he didn't have to walk all hunched back but um yeah so then he would have honestly he, he was never you know with the kid with stitches or he just honestly when we would call the doctor for an appointment, he was the type of child that was like, oh, you haven't been here in three years. We need you to come in as a new patient. You know, he never, ever complained. And if he complained, he was sick. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I'm blessed that all of my children um, have been that way. So, yeah, you take for even my best friend. We talked about him and everything that was going on with him. And, you know, she she's like, I don't know. It just... You know, she kind of thought dehydration too. And I, I said, you know, but he drinks all the time. 
Like he, he was not one I ever had to worry about being dehydrated. He was always drinking. I was beginning to think he was diabetic because he was always drinking water. So, um, but anyway. So you mentioned, you know, that he had, he presented with a flutter. You were expecting to, to take a pill, go home, follow back up in a month, but instead you're up in the PICU. So if you yes. can take us, take us back to that and, and how scary that was, I guess, for you, you know, obviously. You know, again, um, being a nurse, I knew how simple a cardioversion could be. Um, so the plan was do the cardioversion, go home. Um, the cardioversion the first night. And for those who don't know, cardioversion is when they go in and shock the heart into hopefully a normal rhythm. Um, it didn't work. And they tried it three times that first night. So uh, they started him on an antiarrhythmic pill. And that actually that first night he developed a fever and come to find out <laughs> he had strep throat. But, um, and I often get asked, did he have COVID? No, it was negative. Had he ever had COVID? Not that I'm aware of. And no, he had not had the vaccine. Um, so fast forward to the third day, um, doctor came in and said she felt like he was therapeutic with the antiarrhythmia. He had tried to convert during the night to atrial flutter. I mean, he was kind of converting during the night from flipping and flopping from atrial flutter to AFib. And um, occasionally they would get a, a regular rhythm, but it wouldn't stay. So the plan was the third day to try the cardio version again that evening. Um, and if that didn't work, then we would be sent home with the antiarrhythmias and sent to a cardiac electrophysiologist in New Orleans who had been advising on the case. So the plan was to be home by Friday. This was Wednesday. Um, that morning, he had been told not to get out of bed because he was having the orthostatic hypotension. Anytime he would change positions where his heart, I mean, his blood pressure would just spot him out and his heart rate would spike almost to 200. Um, a friend of his had come to visit. So we stepped out just to, you know, give him some guy time. And uh, when we swapped visitors, we found the entire medical team in his room. He had gotten out of bed and fallen and passed out and busted his head. So they were trying to glue him back together and take him downstairs to do a CT just to rule out any kind of bleed or fracture. He was alert. He knew what had happened. He knew where he was. Um, he was trying to get up and turn the heat on because he was cold. But I could see in that moment that his color was wrong. And he was looking blue around the mouth. I stepped away because I didn't want him to see me like this. 
I knew in my heart something was wrong. I just didn't know what. So I took him downstairs to do the CT. I started cleaning up his room. And within just a matter of minutes, the PA from the cardiology group came up to let us know he had coded. And he actually told them right before that he didn't feel right, that something was wrong, and he felt like he was going to pass out again. So he, he coded right there on the CT table. And they worked on him for almost an hour. And I finally asked to go down to be with him. And at first they said, I don't know, they're still working on him. And I said, you don't understand. You can take me or I can find my way. So they allowed me to be in with the code team and be right there with you. And, you know, you just, you pray that you can say something that will bring them back. But I knew when I sat down and held his hand and he was gone. And the doctors and the code team kept working and working. And I finally just said, you know and I know that he's been down too long. And that even if you get him back right now, he will not be the same person, and he will not want to live that way. My husband came in at that time. He prayed over the team, and someone picked me up out of the floor, put me in a wheelchair, and took us out, and they called it. And that's the last time I saw my son. Oh, Michelle, I just want to tell you thank you for sharing this story with us. You're so welcome. (laughs) You can, you know, when you you originally had said, when we were kind of doing our introductions, that you may cry. And, I mean, this is such a a huge part of your life. So we're grateful that you took us to that hard place. And also crying with you. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I don't know if you heard the sniffles, but yeah. Um, there's no dry eyes. We know about Grayson because of you and your work. Grayson Temple, his friends called him Gray. He was a junior, and he became a hero on December 8th, 2021. He was 16 years old. You and your husband have created the Gray's Army Foundation, a nonprofit, and you want to take his story, you want to take his legacy, and you want to save lives. Tell us why you created this nonprofit and what your hope is. So Gray's Army is, um, our mission is to raise awareness of sudden cardiac arrest. And sudden cardiac arrest is the number one cause of death in our student athletes. But it doesn't just affect athletes. It can affect anyone. Um, We all have a heart. And, you know, the thing is, there's not a lot of awareness, at least in this area, Um, and I don't want us to have to be reactive. Let's be proactive and do the things that we know that need to be done. And one thing that we have done recently um, on June the 10th, Governor Edwards signed into law the Grayson Temple Act, 
which requires all coaches, trainers, school nurses, volunteer or paid um, to take a yearly in-service. It's a 12-minute video that helps them recognize the signs and symptoms of sudden cardiac arrest. And people say, oh, well, they know CPR. I understand they know CPR, but I want them to be able to recognize the signs and symptoms before so that they can remove that player or that student from school to, and to be um, assessed by MD before being able to return. In our case, um, you know, I didn't, it was just discounted as dehydration and I never thought to have him checked out, you know, but just like with the Concussion Act, if a student experiences a concussion during play, they have to be removed from play to return and assessed by a doctor before they can return to play. So same thing uh, with sudden cardiac arrest. We will, we do plan to go back and amend next year to add that clause um, that if a student experiences any kind of um, fainting spell or passes out or, you know, becomes incapacitated during a sport that they cannot return to play until they are cleared by a physician. Um, we didn't unfortunately get that on there this year, but um, we just recently signed on with an AED manufacturer and hope to be distributing AEDs um, to different organizations, schools, uh, gyms, whoever um, is in need and maybe can't afford them. So, you know, we will ask whomever um, is in need to possibly do a small fundraiser to kind of help offset the cost. Uh, unfortunately, they are still, you know, several hundred dollars, but um, that is one of our goals of the foundation. We do have literature. Um, we have co-branded with another organization uh, called Simon's Heart. They're out of Philadelphia, and they are actually the first um, state who passed the uh, Sudden Cardiac Arrest Prevention Act. And so since then, 16 other states have followed suit with us now being 17. So one thing, you know, they, they did all the legwork for you. It was just for us getting a representative to carry our bill and Representative Ballard Hodges was more than willing to go to bat for us. Um, Scott Arsenault with the Louisiana Athletic Trainers Association, he has been right there for us. Um, so it's, it's been amazing. I know the, the Board of Education kind of came after me at first because they thought that we were requiring um, teachers to have to teach this, but we, we, we reworded it and amended it so that they would know that it was just an in-service for coaches, trainers, um, school nurses, but um, goodness knows we don't want to put any more on the teachers than they already have. But, you know, our goal is just to get in front of as many people as possible. Um, we had a very generous donor give us uh, mannequins and AED trainers so that we can go and teach hands-on CPR. Um, and we try to make it fun. We do what we call a chain of survival relay. And we just try to get them to understand the sense of urgency of every second counts. And the the quicker you can get in there and start CPR, you increase that person's chance of survival. 
So we, um, again, we have the literature now, we have our website, we've been trying to, you know, get scheduled with, as I said again, as many organizations and schools and churches, whoever will let us come and speak, you know, we're, we're out there knocking on doors and I've even thought about, um, just taking it to the streets and bringing my mannequins and going hanging out on a street corner. <laughs> and guess what? I think you could do it. Yeah. I, I follow you on social media. I follow the local news stories. I mean, you're you really have a community of support. People who just love this kid as much as as you do, and they want to honor his legacy as well. And so uh, they stand behind you. They help you. Um, yes. I was reading a story about uh, the flood of 2016, which totally impacted lives of folks in, in South oh Louisiana. Gosh. And so, so he was a helper. He was helping others. And it just seems like that's just who he was. The more I learn about him, I'm like, what a great what a kid. kid. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, Michelle, it's you, you've kind of taken us like we just don't even have enough time to talk about all the incredible <laughs> things about, you know, about Grayson and about the things you're doing. Um, you know, you shared who Grayson is and he was full of life. Um mm-hmm. And then you, you shared the end of his life and how what, you know, you didn't tell us how you decided donation was the right thing for Grayson. So I know you and I probably have talked about this personally, but um, my stepfather, um, we always call him Pop, but he received, he was a heart recipient back um, actually the year that Grayson was born and you know with that heart donation from this family uh, in Missouri we were able to have him around for 11 more years Um, and Grayson I had to sneak Grayson into ICU to see him uh, when he was two months old but um, (laughs) we still have a picture of his little head sticking out of the hospital gown (laughs) But so my, so my stepdad was a heart recipient and, um, right before his passing, we had moved to Arkansas after the flood and I had started teaching my boys about just how to take care of him, um, as he was declining and checking his blood sugars and just things to look for, you know, if he was starting to look sick. And so anyway, when Grayson got his permit, the lady had asked him, you know, do you want to be an organ donor as they ask everybody? And he, he didn't even hesitate. He said, yes. Mm. And so, you know, you never, (laughs) you never imagine actually being the donor, but um, when he passed, everything was so crazy. Um, On our way home from the hospital, I looked at my husband and I said, I don't know what they can take. I said, but he wanted to be an organ donor. I said, obviously, I know they won't be able to take the vital organs. And so we called back to the house supervisor and she said, absolutely. She said, I'll make the phone call. Oh, so y'all actually initiated that conversation. initiated it, yes. Yeah, which is is unusual. Uh, You know... We knew, and it's not something people want to talk about, but we knew that we didn't want to bury him. Um, We knew that we wanted to do as much good for the world as we could with 
what was viable. And, um, you know, you don't ever think about planning your child's funeral. But, you know, we did the cremation, and thank God that we did have um, a burial policy. People don't think about that either. So when we, we were very blessed that we had been through enough, I guess, of life that we thought ahead. And again, you never hope to have to, to use that little $10,000 burial policy that you may take out with your life insurance. But I can't encourage people enough to, number one, consider organ donation. Number two, take out those policies, uh, even if it's just a minor policy, because I see so many people, you know, when you're in that moment of tragedy, you just, that's the last thing you want to have to worry about. But, and and I know some people think about, oh, I don't want to chop up my family member, but, you know, my, our children went to see him and I have to say they spoke nothing but great things about the way, you know, everything is preserved and, you know, it's not the, the patch job that so many people think of and you know the way i look at it i mean i can take them with me but why not save lives with them yeah you know michelle if i could come through this microphone and hug you i would i'm not sure if you're a hugger <laughs> no i just think the world I of you michelle am. i mean from a mother to a mother from um from an, an employee of lopa you've just hit on so many things that you know our 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 world needs and and i think you said a beautiful quote of we just knew that the world needed this. Um, you, you, Grayson was full of life. He continues to give life. And, and you and your husband continue to share life by going out and, and really educating people on so many different topics. We are definitely trying. <laughs> well, y'all are doing it. And it's it's. You you went you went straight into trying to help others after the loss of your son, and so we just want to say thank you for what you've done and what you continue to do. And I I just think so many people would love to hear more about um, Gray's Army. So where can we find you? We are actually on Facebook and Instagram at Gray's Army Foundation. Our website is www.graysarmyfoundation.org. Um, and we actually have a TikTok page <laughs> that is <laughs> Gray's Army Foundation. Um, so, yes, we, you know, and we're located right here in Watson. Um, we still have a son in the Live Oak School District. Um, you know, we hope to, to be in this community for a long time. Uh, we have, we do have an older daughter and her family is here with a one-year-old grandbaby. Oh, so we are we are very invested in protecting hearts and just raising awareness of sudden cardiac arrest because even it's even been linked to SIDS. And one thing that I read that kind of struck me was, and it's so true, is that you know we get our heart screened as a baby in the hospital, and unless you have issues, it's not screened again until you're an adult or there's even more issues um, where I just read an article this week where now the American Pediatric Association is recommending heart screenings starting in three, every three years, starting in the sixth grade. 
So they would catch you sixth, ninth, and twelfth. And just like with Louisiana Pediatric Cardiology Foundation, who offers the free heart screenings here to student athletes, they catch you in ninth and eleventh grade. But I love now that the American Pediatrics Association has come back and said, let's start in the sixth grade, ninth grade, and twelfth grade. So I'm encouraging parents as your kids are going into middle school, high school, and into your senior year, you know, if there's any cardiac history or if someone in your family has died unexpectedly before the age of 50, get those heart screenings, get, you know, talk to your kids, earn that trust. Don't let them be talking to just their friends, you know, let them feel comfortable with coming to you and saying, hey, something's not right. I'd rather you take them to the doctor and them say, oh, it might just be asthma or a little anxiety or just whatever it could be, you know, versus ignoring it and it turn out to be tragic. Um, I actually had a mother reach out to me the other day and she had taken her son, both of her boys, to the, to the heart doctor and turns out that they both had issues and because of the cardiac history in their family and Grayson's story, she went and got them checked out and then, you know, they're going to have to be further evaluated and, and we'll have to be followed by a cardiologist. So, um, and then I had another mom, she did take her son because she started noticing he was constantly short of breath and his heart was racing. Well, turned out he had asthma. I mean, thank goodness it wasn't his heart, but at least she found out. Um, and she had reached out to me because she said, you know, I couldn't help but think about what you kept saying. And um, even his cardiologist the other day um, emailed me and said that she's come across several families now, um, thanks to us that have come in to be seen and, um, you know, either knew Grayson or knew of our story. So I know we're we're making an impact, but you know my goal is to to make a huge impact. If I you are you're a mom on a mission. We always I talk am. about uh, you know one person making a difference, just one person with a passion and trying and pushing, um, and that's that's you honoring Grayson, which is incredible. Uh, we hope that you can follow Grayson's army, watch them grow, uh, watch the things that they will do, and we thank you for your time. We thank you for sharing Grayson with us. And we appreciate you sharing your talents to save more lives. I appreciate you guys, Nala and Lori and Joey. I, I'm, I'm just honored that you would choose us to to talk about, you know, him giving life and our foundation. Uh, our story doesn't end here. It, <laughs> we hope to have several more chapters to go. Absolutely. Definitely be uh, rooting for you guys and organ donation. Actually, my son, my youngest son the other day got, got his permit. and. He gladly put that organ donor heart on his permit. So thank you for all y'all do. Yes, ma'am. And thank you for all you guys do. Michelle will be talking to you again. You have an open invitation to the gifted life. We know that you guys will continue to do great things. On the Gifted Life podcast, we take a moment for mental health. Yeah, this time, Laurie, I heard we're talking about presents, so I'm all about it. <laughs> Spill it, Nyla. Nyla. Oh, I like this. Okay, so we're really talking about, we're going to talk about grounding, which keeps us or brings us back to the present. 
a lot of times people are future tripping is what some people say, or they're worried or anxious about what's ahead of them, or either they're thinking about the past and regrets and shame. And so this encourages us constantly to bring ourselves back to the present during our day. I and mean, it, sometimes that's hard to do, Nyla. Yes, it is. And that's why I have some <laughs> techniques okay. for us. Okay. So like my favorite is called the four box breathing. Um, you might have heard the four by four breathing, equal breathing, four square breathing. But this is, it's a type of yoga, uh, I don't know, breathe, controlling your breath. Uh-huh. But it's it's so powerful that the um, Navy SEALs actually adopted it and incorporated oh. it into their training. Nice. And so This is my favorite, so I'll just share how you do it. But you're just actually breathing in for four seconds. You hold for four seconds. You breathe out for four seconds. And then you breathe in for four seconds. So you just do that continually. So we can even practice it for a minute. So I'm going to watch. I was doing it just now. Okay. But I was also thinking on my watch, you know, it says take a moment. And, and it helps you breathe on there. And it does that a lot lately. Like, you know, when breathe, you're stressed, Lori, the same yeah. Well, it does so much for your body. It slows your heart rate down. And if you think about it, the Navy SEALs can use this because this actually helps them focus when they're about to have to do something very important. Oh, but it yeah. takes practice. So it isn't something that y'all can just practice here at the podcast. You have to continually do it. You want to do it when you're relaxed. So your body, when you start doing this, it understands. Let's go into a calming mode. So if you want to just do it real quick, we'll do a square. I think of it as a square. Mm -hmm. So we're going to breathe in. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. Out. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. And I'm hoping our, our, our listeners will practice this because it's it's just very helpful. And nobody has to see you doing it in public. You can mm-hmm. practice at home. You can practice mm-hmm. in the mirror. But most importantly, you can carry it anywhere with you. And so there are some other um, well, quick... Before you get on to the other. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, of course, my clinical mind goes uh, very specifically to ventilator control since that's we work with ventilators. <laughs> and that's basically... PRVC uh, t- type uh, mechanism of, uh, of breathing. So as you know, we help uh, regulate the, the, the respiratory for, uh, for a patient through the ventilator. And as uh, pressure-regulated volume control ventilation, and it's basically that. It's a box. <laughs> you see it on the screen on the ventilator, and it's a box that you go up and then you hold you know, and then you go down, you hold, and it basically looks like it all looks like a box when you have it on a oh, written on their diagram. Nice. Yeah, so you'll be clinical from. mind. Yeah, so you'll be but able to, so to you can, think about. So this. you have better oxygen when you're doing it. I mean, that's the point. I better was trying oxygen, to rush it though. Yeah, I got to calm your, it down. And I wonder if it keeps the body like for somebody who is on a respiratory like a ventilator, would it keep the body more stable because the oxygen is going in and out. It is. Regulated? It is used so when you do so when you do have oxygen issues. Um, you have an increased amount of oxygen floating through the inspiratory and then oxygen while you're holding for that time. You know, so it's a significant amount of, without having to put a whole lot of pressure on the lungs, a lot of oxygen floating through the, the, uh, the lungs in that time frame. And then, of course, you have to, you have to exhale for your carbon dioxide and so you can regulate your, your pH. But, but that whole 
extended oxygen time helps your oxygenation. And that's, that's, how we, that's what we do when we have poor oxygenation. That's one of our techniques that we do. So well, anyway, yeah, it's, it's Well, that curious. makes sense because for this, like we can go into the fight, flight, freeze mode. And then when you start regulating your breathing, it's slowing your body down and it's teaching your body, hey, this is not an emergency because we just do that naturally sometimes. And we can train ourselves to always be in the fight or the flight or the freeze mode. So this is extremely helpful and you can teach your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so a couple other grounding techniques okay, before okay. we move on. So there is the, um, a lot of people know the five, four, three, two, one which is you look around and you try to like say in your head or say out loud five things you see, um, four things you feel, three things you hear, two that you smell, and some people say one that you taste, which could be almonds since we've been eating almonds. But um, another thing is one thing you're good at or maybe one thing that you're grateful for. Uh, that's an easy one. Nobody has to see you doing that, but it kind of pulls you back to the right now, right here, mm-hmm. because you, when you're making decisions, you want to be present and you want to be present for the person in front of you. Um, and then there's, you can also, one is put both feet on the ground mm-hmm. and you can draw an an imaginary line around your feet. Mm-hmm. Nobody has to see you doing this. Nobody has to know that you are anxious or you are nervous. This is just all things that you can keep in your toolbox. Basically, just carrying it around with you. So if you can't name it and you don't practice it and you don't use it, it doesn't do any good. Mm-hmm. So if you think if you need to hang a picture, I mean, you're going to find a, a hammer. I was going to say a screwdriver. I don't use a toolbox for <laughs> that. Either one. I, I only use my mental health tips in my, in my toolbox. But yeah, so it's it's really, um, you can Google grounding techniques. Uh, they're always there, tons of them, but you have to find what works for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, I hope that y'all practice the breathing technique and, and let me know what works for you. I was trying to rush that breathing. That's what I got to focus on. <laughs> slow Four it seconds. down, slow it down. Right. But I like that. Okay, I can do those. That's easy to do, and we can all practice together. Maybe you have a topic you'd like for us to cover here at The Gifted Life. All you have to do is email us at info at thegiftedlife.org. Hey, guys, it's time for the question and answer segment. And today, how about you kick us off there, Nyla? All right. So, Lori, I have a question for you. How can I learn more about volunteering to teach others about the gift of life? Okay, Probably my favorite question. Probably <laughs> my favorite question. So keep it to uh, ten minutes or less. <laughs> if you're not in Louisiana, check with the OPO near you. Uh, but if you're in Louisiana, I mean, we will work with you. Please, please, please sign up to be a volunteer. You can do that on our website, lopa.org/volunteer. It's very easy to do. We'll ask you to sign up. It doesn't obligate you to anything, but then it'll open up a new world where you see all the opportunities. And so, some people maybe they're not into public speaking. Maybe um, you're into art, or maybe you're into writing, or maybe you into podcasts. And so, we work with your skill set, what you're comfortable with, and we devise a program for you. And and you will be learning from those volunteers who have been doing it with us. We work with those donor families, recipients, those who are waiting, families, anybody who has a seat at the table that's been impacted by donation or not. If you're just wanting to help people learn, uh, you will be on our team and you can help us make life happen. It's a beautiful process. Um, it's an easy process. We're very flexible. Um, we'd love for people to join our team. And all you have to do is click lopa.org and sign up today. And we'd love to have you. 
Lori, I want to sign up. Well, I we've know, already right? signed you up. We volunteered <laughs> you. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's usually fun. We're out there. We do all kinds of activities. Um, the Path of Remembrance, we were releasing butterflies. So we had volunteers for that. Uh, we go into schools. We go into churches. Uh, we go into driving schools. Uh, we do health fairs. We do lunch and learns. So basically, we do it all. And we need help. And we'd love for you to join us. Great, guys. We love these questions. Please keep them coming. If you have a question, give us a call, 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Grayson Lane Temple. And we learn about Grayson from his family. Grayson Gray Lane Temple was born April 20th, 2005. He was the first son born to Dale and Michelle Temple. Grayson was born at 37 weeks and spent the first eight days of his life in NICU. Upon discharge, other than respiratory issues, his first year of life, he was a very happy, healthy baby. As he grew up, he became active in sports, including basketball, baseball, and football. He enjoyed fishing, hunting, and the outdoors. He was a left-handed, fun-loving jokester with a big heart. He was the picture of health. He stood 6'2 and was 230 pounds. Grayson could be found working on a motor of most any kind, welding and hanging out with his friends. Grayson loved aggravating his older sisters, Corinne and Sarah Payton, and his younger brother, Jacob. Grayson was a part of the homeless ministry and cooking team at his church. He loved to experiment with new cooking recipes. Grayson was an organ donor and continues to give to others, even in his passing. As of today, he has given the gift of sight to two people. And now we pause and say thank you to Grayson for the gift of life. And that is episode 192 of The Gifted Life. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And remember, you can register anytime as an organ, eye, and tissue donor at registerme.org. Big thank you to Michelle Temple for coming on and sharing Grayson with us. How amazing was that? And also for starting the Great Army Foundation, which is really bringing awareness to something that's really not talked about enough. Uh, shining a light on the health care problem has seen so many f- uh, fatalities throughout the year in uh, sudden cardiac arrest. Great things that they're doing. Gray's Army, so great and still growing. The best place to find us, guys, at our website, thegiftedlife.org. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others to find our podcast. We're on Facebook, too, guys, The Gifted Life Podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Our ask is that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. Until next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Nyla Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.